This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder, making work-life balance work. Does it work? You want to stick around for this one. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles some of the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we're going to tackle the topic of juggling work-life balance. Like, is it really 50-50 work to life that makes you balanced? Or is it a lot more complicated than that? Spoiler alert, it is. But before we get into that, as always, I'm your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And guys, you know, this has come up quite a bit lately. And I know, Cindy, you sort of got a lot of questions recently at a conference you were attending about how do you get it all done? I mean, I think sometimes people see people like us who seem to do a lot of stuff and they're like, how do you get it all done? And then you go back to this myth of work-life balance, which right there, it's a misnomer because as far as I'm concerned, there's no balance involved. But Cindy, when people come up to you and say, I need work-life balance, how do you do it? What do you say? Yeah. And for me, people start asking me, what is it that you do? And the list at this point is like nine things long. And the more things I start listing, the more crazy their eyes get. So I, I, you know, I find it so interesting because we make time for the things that give us energy and the things that make us passionate. And that doesn't always look like the kind of time balance that you think it, it should be. And I had a really interesting experience early in my veterinary career where I was working full-time in small animal practice and the opportunity came up for me to work as an associate professor at a vet tech school. And I actually found, despite how much work that was, and God bless teachers, they work their butts off. I, yeah. you know, you know, they work hard, but until you actually do it, I don't think you can even imagine. But despite how much extra time it was, I found I had more energy for my practice life because I was thinking about teaching my team and I had more energy for the teaching because I was thinking about how I could use that clinical experience and bring it to the classroom. So I, it made me wonder about you guys and the different things you do. And whether or not sometimes adding a little bit more of your life passion to your work and your work passion to your life actually gives you more energy. Well, Cindy, right there, you already said what I believe is the critical word, and that is passion. Because I think that work-life imbalance starts to originate when you're doing more of the stuff you don't enjoy that doesn't, as you say, re-energize you, that doesn't bring you that passion. But Becky, a lot of this conversation around work-life balance has sadly been centered on the veterinarians, not the support staff. What say the veterinary technician, Becky? I mean, you know, we're never surprised when that's the case and that's okay <laughs> because I think there, you know, there is just more conversation, organized conversation in general and, and we're working to change that on the technician side for sure. It's definitely something we, we do talk about um, amongst ourselves. It's something I've been lecturing on for several years and like you said, it, it's sort of just that misnomer of exactly that there's ever going to be perfect balance. And, and Dr. Cindy said it perfectly. It's, it's really about your why. For me, that's, that's how I refer to it as your why. What do you get out of it? So I, it's exactly right. And Becky, I wonder, especially from the technician standpoint, I think veterinarians, a lot of the time we end up masters of our own destiny in a lot of ways. But technicians, if, if we have an emergency come in, fortunately, my technicians are sometimes at the beck and call of 
what I'm deciding about whether or not we see that patient, how much do you feel technicians have control over their work-life balance? You know, it's funny. I think it's it's definitely something we talk about as far as like a benefit. When you're talking to other technicians about, you know, oh, how do you like your new practice? You know, one thing you'll always hear is like, well, I go home at five o'clock. It, it's, <laughs> right. you know, when people transition to academia, one of the first things they say, you know, oh, well, I go home at five o'clock. So the reliability is really significant. And I think that it is significant because there is such a loss of control. But at the same time, too, I think it can go both ways. I think there's times that technicians would rather stay and see a patient and they feel frustrated that they can't or possibly the flip side of that coin. They wish they could go home. And so I think it works both ways. Um, I think it's a whole nother podcast in itself, the, the separation of powers for sure. And it sounds like like you were talking about some of that level of control and autonomy has to do with how much energy you get from it. The fact that, okay, well, this is what I would like to do. And do I have that ability to determine what my work-life balance looks like? Do I have the ability to decide to stay for that patient versus the ability to decide? And, and I think we've talked about that before too, with people who have families versus those who don't. Sometimes people, even if you don't have young kids, you want to have the ability to decide to get more time at home. And you feel like that choice is taken away from you because the people with young kids are kind of getting the priority. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, there's that that whole social culture. In fact, I'm currently writing writing a term paper about it. So it's really forefront in my mind. But there is this um, social culture as far as, you know, people who don't have kids or are single being available and not needing to have that same work life balance. But we don't really recognize the need for you know, their ability to engage in social interaction, their need to cultivate relationships outside of work and that you have to be outside of work to cultivate relationships outside of work. And um, it creates a sort of hopeless circle for people who are single um, if, in a lot of cases if they aren't given that balance and the expectation is set so different. So it's we really have to look at that whole team because everyone is, is absolutely affected. Well, guys, yeah. I want to get your opinion on this because a lot of this does come back to what I would consider external judgment, right? People making a judgment on, are you balanced or not? You know I mean? Are your priorities yeah. in the right place or not? And I think, you know, we've covered this specific topic multiple times in different ways on this podcast, but let's get back to that, Cindy, you know, work-life balance, yeah. how do you get it all done? Isn't there a scent of judgment sometimes? Oh yeah. Heck yeah. And, and the idea of, somebody else's priorities and passion should be our priorities and passions. And that's, that's so not the case. You know, we all have different values and I don't know about you guys, but how I decide if I'm overloaded or whether or not I need to shift my priorities, I'm in the, the midst of doing that right now is looking at what are the things that drive me? Like my husband and I, we have a list of, you know, four things that I sit down and I say, are we spending most of our time doing those four things? You know, keeping our family safe, making good memories with our family, making a difference in the world, and feeling a little spoiled sometimes. And if we're not, if we're spending time doing things that are different, we're going to rearrange our priorities. But it's totally, it might be a totally different list for somebody else. And they might look at my list and say, feeling a little spoiled sometimes, that's, that's, that doesn't make sense to make time and uh, prioritize that. Right. And, and I think one of the things, if you're listening today to what I've always used as a signal for am I imbalanced or not, is just the fact that you start to feel overwhelmed. You start to feel yeah. like you're run down. You don't feel energized and motivated to do your job. 
those are all signs that we often associate with like burnout and things like that. But in the reality that I've lived in, it also indicates that I'm not doing what I find fulfilling, which gets us right back to avoiding burnout. So Becky, just again, you know, from a support staff standpoint, do you see veterinarians that you are, have you worked with veterinarians that you sometimes say, wow, you know, or maybe just veterinary technician colleagues that you say, you know, I am concerned that they're imbalanced in the work-life arena. And I mean, if so, like, how do you know if, if that's accurate or not? And then what do you do? Yeah, it, I think it's hard to judge from the outside because people paint pictures the way that they need to. And there's some people who are super busy, um, who don't really talk about how busy they are or need to look that way. There's other people, I think, who talk a lot about being really busy, <laughs> who don't seem to be really producing. So I don't. I try really hard not to judge, but you're right. It, it, it comes back to satisfaction. So if I'm looking at my colleagues who aren't excited about the things that they have to do. They start to feel like or talk about them in a tone that sounds obligatory as opposed to energized and enthusiastic, or they're even displaying that on the job. I'm going to start to ask them and have a conversation about, you know, how are you feeling? Are you still happy? Are you still fulfilled? Because it looks like you might be getting tired. And if it can be the work, it can be the life. And you know, life has seasons, right? Sometimes there is going to be imbalance and you're like, yeah, I just got to push through. The kids are sick and it's a busy time of year and my parents are staying with us. So is it the big picture or is it just today? Yeah. And I, I think what you touched on with benefits is such an important point because I think a lot of us are willing to make trade-offs to get that work-life balance and to to be happy. And when it comes to productivity and, and being active in our practices, um, there are folks who are willing to say, you know, hey, I'm going to not make quite as much money here, but I need and want that flexibility. And folks who say, yeah, I am willing to come in on the weekends if that means I get to, to have a little bit more take-home pay. Right. And Cindy, that's part of the key of quote-unquote balance, and that's the trade-offs. But the trade-offs must be based on your priorities, which should be based on what you find fulfilling. Now, this is where the real world sort of interrupts and makes our life difficult because now suddenly Becky you would like to have this spa day on Saturday but yet your boss calls you in because the other veterinary technician is sick right so yeah I find that it's these interruptions that actually really derail our best efforts so again I guess I'd like to get get advice from both of you on how do you deal when life interrupts your quote-unquote balance so I, I always think back to like when you're traveling and people get really furious that, you know, the plane's not leaving on time because there's a flat tire or some completely unpreventable, right. you know, weather storm or something like that. And and people are always like, you're furious and you should have a plan for this. And it's sort of that thing in my head is uh, we should have a plan for that. We shouldn't have to interrupt the work-life balance of our staff and of our team members Um if there is a sick employee, because we should be able to plan for that, that's an expected interruption. And so part of management and part of running a practice in a, in a really healthy culture is having a technician who has a day off or having one that has, has some on-call time. And if they are brought in on their day off, it's compensated for being that way. And they're, they're backed up. And if, if you have a culture where your employees are happy and it's a team and it's a family and they're happy to pitch in, that's great. And, and and someone will always show up and do the job. That's the thing about support staff in the veterinary field. They will always get the job done, but you're building resentment with your staff members. And, and that starts to lead to, to that compassion fatigue and that burnout. And so you've got to have a plan 
for that. And that's foreseeable. I think too often we think it is just a one-off and it, it's not. Um, I think often we're, we're saying in our head like, oh, this is an extreme situation. And in fact, it's become something that we're, we're seeing that emergency day after day after day after day after day. And we're double booking and everybody's really, really stressed. Right. And I think we need to stop making those excuses to say that this is an emergency or this is something that wasn't planned for and needing to take a step back and, and look at the patterns. And I think Becky really hit on the fact that we should sit down with our emotions like that resentment or that feeling of being overwhelmed and to identify that that is a signal that there's something that needs to change in that work-life balance. Um, often, I think when we feel those negative emotions, we, we feel like we're either wrong for feeling them or we don't want to feel them instead of realizing that they're educating us on something, they're trying to tell us something and we can kind of work, work with them. You make such a good point. And, and it was something I was thinking about saying earlier in the sense of, you know, I always feel like I need to justify myself when people say like, wow, you do so much. How do you possibly do all that? And how do you balance that? And I, I always feel like I have to explain myself to them. And, and I'm not sure that I really should have to. Um, but I always feel like I have to say like, oh, it's it's fine. It's it's great. You know, but really, I don't do all of those things 40 hours a week. And, and I feel like I have to justify it away because life is so overwhelming for people and it it is such a relative situation. And I, I think you make the exact point of we have to, it's about self-awareness, work-life balance and, and happiness and, and, you know, the ability to cope with everything you've got going on in your life doesn't just happen. It's not a magic wand. It doesn't just occur. You really have to work at it. You have to work at recognizing where you're at and what you're getting out of it and being responsible for your own change. So I think it's really important in this conversation to recognize we all play that really important role in finding that for ourselves. Yeah. So again, we're seeking balance and we're going to get back to that in just a second. But when life interrupts and throws you out of balance, you have complete control over your response to that. And and so again, I would encourage listeners to sort of, you know, learn how to take a step back, take a deep breath, you know, close your eyes and meditate for five minutes, whatever it takes to get through that moment. That doesn't mean that you're not trying to to change it for the better, right? Because like uh, Becky and Cindy have both said, if there's this continual interruptions, you're constantly double booked, you're called in on Saturdays all the time, then you've got to fix that system. But life is going to happen. Working in veterinary practice for 30 years, I can tell you, I, my goal has always been to make about 80% of the life of my staff go pretty smoothly. But 20% of the time, rocky roads, nothing I can do about it. Storm clouds build, boom, there comes the thunder. But you have to develop within yourself the ability to cope with that 20%. And then you're striving to make that 80% work all of the time. That's sort of my little shorthand. And I think we'll get into some of the other uh, specific techniques we employ later. But but Cindy, I know you had another point you wanted to jump in. Yeah. And I think what you were saying leads into it perfectly, which is the idea that, you know, we, we can't stop bad things from happening all the time. Even if we have an amazingly well-run workplace, people are going to, you know, get ill. Somebody may have a tragedy in their families. Some people may need to move. So do we have systems built in not only to our workplaces, but into our lives to kind of process those life toxins, so to speak, just like our bodies have a liver to deal with those toxic events or in our, in our body systems, do we have ways to filter out the toxic negativity in our own life? Whether that's, you know, going biking or that's your family. And then within our workplaces, do we make sure to reward those people that help us deal with the difficult things? Do we make sure to take the time in our life 
to do those detoxifying things um, in, our, in our personal lives. And, and, and Cindy, I want to make sure we're clear to our audience. I mean, when we talk about balance and efforts to to stay healthy and happy and energized. We're not talking about perfection. And I think that's a real important note because people want their life to be perfect. Everybody wants everything to be perfect. And that's just not reality that I live in, at least. So Becky, speak to the perfection myth. Like I think sometimes the work-life balance, we think when we're out of balance, we failed and we're imperfect and we're striving for perfection. Kind of help me there. It's so funny, you know, uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine who I see only a couple times a year said to me, is your life really so perfect? Is it as perfect as it looks on Facebook? You, you know, you never have a, a unspoken prayer request or, you know, just having a bad day or, you know, whatever it was. And I, I got really upset when she did that. Cause I thought I really don't want to project my life as perfect. I just celebrate the positive. I don't focus on the negative and I certainly don't do it in a public forum. I like to talk about the positive. And when I used to teach, I started my classes with tell me something good. And that's still really something I put out, you know, on my um, social media a lot is just tell me good because I like to focus on that. So that being said, life looks perfect around us in this culture and in this day and age of filters and, and snappable moments that you can share with the world. And perfection is really, uh, unfortunately, and I, I know this sounds harsh and I'm not a psychologist. To me, perfection is an excuse. You know, it's if if you're like, well, if I was just perfect or you're right. striving for that perfect. To me, it's it's an excuse and, and to a cover up and, and to really need to embrace the fact that perfect is really boring and you don't want to be at perfect. You have a lot of mistakes to make because you have a lot to learn from that. So if, if perfect is what you're going for, please, or if you think it's what we have, <laughs> no please way. don't spend a weekend at any of our houses <laughs> yeah. and, and embrace the imperfection because I sure do. And I thought it was so funny. One time in vet school, and I was a, a pretty good student in vet school, but one of my friends came over to my uh, house one day and saw my bedroom and she was like, oh, that's such a relief. You're not perfect because I am a messy person, a very <laughs> messy person. But that's just me choosing my priorities. Like, okay, if cleaning is going to end up on the bottom of the list, it's going to end up on the bottom of the list. But, but perfectionism is a lack of choosing priorities. So, Cindy, let's now jump into some of the the techniques that we've found to be effective, like at helping us strive for this balance in our life to actually yeah. seek the things that have us, give us fulfillment. So I, I'd like to just open it up to you first. I mean, are there some things, tips, advice that you've learned along the way and on this journey that might help some of our listeners? Yeah. So uh, kind of harking back to what I was talking about earlier, listening to our emotions and looking for that resentment and feeling of being overwhelmed. Uh, definitely having a list of what is really valuable to me and what I think a good li life looks like and deciding to make choices surrounding what I think a good life looks like and realizing that at any given point, it's not going to be perfect and that life changes. And so um, kind of just reassessing on a regular basis and making adjustments throughout um, and being okay with that. So that's that's kind of been my strategy. Well, I like that. Cindy, I want to just dive in there just a second, because what you've really sort of illustrated is goal planning, goal setting, you know, and one of the things I think that helped Laura and I out a lot over the years was sort of deciding uh, what made us happy, what we looking for as a young couple before we were even married, where do we want to live? What do we see our, you know, painting that picture. So are there any things that you and your husband do? I mean, like I'll just share with our audience as I've shared for many, many years, every January 1st, Laura and I have always committed to sitting down and doing a, a 
both a solitary and individual goal planning and then a, a couple goal planning. We've actually extended this to our children now and they're well into their teenage years. But do you do anything formalized like that or have like a, a little session that you kind of get together with your husband and say, hey, where are we? Let's take stock and how do we move forward? Yeah, I think around our birthdays and our anniversary week, I try to touch base and see kind of where we are and where we want to be and figure out if we're headed in the right direction. We we did, I got very obsessed with traction for a while. And so I was like, what are our core values as a family? And, and we also check in once a week and just see um, how the week went and how things are going. And um, we also do a little bit of that through our budgeting because we want to make sure not only are our values taking up the right amount of time, but are we spending our money in a way that's consistent with our values? So we check in on that monthly. And so that serves as a good checkpoint too for us to make sure we're moving forward in, in the way that we want. So that may be more than makes sense for some people. But again, you got to figure out what, what makes sense for you. Becky, uh, any particular way that you check in and make sure your work-life balance is headed in the right direction? You know, I think it's something that my husband and I are still learning. Um, we've only been married eight years. And in that eight years, we've had a lot of transition between my husband being in school and then coming out and having a full-time job and me leaving that sort of eight to five market and getting into a lot more traveling and a lot more um you know, being gone and, and working a really abnormal schedule. So we're still really learning. Um, and, and it's for us, um, it, it comes down to, like you said, that conversation and checking in, seeing how things are going, but we've really had to learn to implement that in our relationship. Um, now that we are, are kind of dealing with a different life situation. So, um, definitely talking and checking in for sure. And I, and I love the idea of goal setting. And I think for people in general, having that sort of life life map and that life strategy in place is, is super important and it's overlooked and it's something we don't want to sit down and spend a couple hours on. But when you're really planning out your goals and where you want to be and, and, and how you're going to get there, you, you guys, you become unstoppable and you find that balance and, and that resentment goes away because you feel like you have control. Yeah. And I, I would just, again, emphasize listeners that if you, you know, with your significant other, it's important to have that, you know, sort of that goal, that pathway. Um, I always get frustrated, you know, at my age and my fifties where people are having divorce and separation and they use this excuse, oh, we just sort of grew apart or, you know, I don't know what she's interested in anymore, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, yeah, you could have you know, and you really should have for sure. Yeah. And one thing I think is also uh, helpful for businesses to think about, I think we can get trapped in this mindset of it's bad for a business or bad for a practice to have people who are too focused on work-life balance. That the best thing for the business is always to have people who want to work all the time as much as possible. And (laughs) I'm always fascinated by the data behind how inefficient we become once we get past that, that, you know, 40 hours a week or, or for any individual, the point where they start burning out for every additional hour that we're there, we're becoming more likely to make mistakes. We're becoming right. less efficient. And especially from that practice owner mindset, Dr. Ward, I'd love to hear your thoughts on yeah. why it's good to have team members with work-life balance. Well, and this is why, you know, from the 
get-go, we really focused on trying to help people get healthier, you know, eat healthier diets, exercise, get more sleep, all those things that really do lead to happiness. Um, as a boss, I'm like you, Cindy. I, the first thing we realized was that a happy clinic is a productive clinic, which means we're profitable and making revenue. So, you know, I, I believe strongly if you're an owner, a manager out there, these are the things you need to be attentive to. I know recently we had a, um, a, a difficult podcast on support staff suicides, and I kind of made this comment saying, you know, Hey, owners and managers, this is on us. We have to be attentive. Well, I think it begins with things like this. Like, you know, do you have, you will have these employees who are gunners and they want to stay and they, they, they're going to be the last person out the door every day. And that is unhealthy and imbalanced in many situations. And we want to be, you know, cognizant of that and make sure that we are doing things to foster a healthier balance, maybe not just being there till 10 o'clock at night every night. Yeah. And, and especially with those folks, I tend to find it's very, very hard to get people to change their behavior just for themselves. I know it's, that's right. hard for me. Like, I'm like, I'm going to get the job done. I'm going to do an amazing job. But I've started to think about it from the perspective of, am I being a good role model? Am I being a good role model for my team to take care of themselves? And sometimes that's more motivating for me than taking care of myself, which I find interesting. And you make, you know, we have to lead by example and in, in doing that, making sure that everyone around us is, is taking time for themselves, but also that you're doing it. And I, and I think when you feel the benefits of it and you are living a life that is more balanced, you're able to, um, encourage it in others around you because y you understand how great it feels and you want them to feel the same way. So I think when you take the time to do that, it, it does benefit everyone around you. So if you want that for your team, make sure you're doing it for yourself. And guys, I'm going to share with you the secret, in my opinion, to being happier, <laughs> to being more productive, to actually finding more fulfillment in your life. And it really is simple. It's get more sleep. And I know that you are now listening and laughing. You're going, yeah, that'd be great. Yep. You know, I don't have time to sleep. You know, oh gosh, what kind of life are you living there, doc? But the reality is so much of our health and well-being, emotional stability originates with quality restorative sleep. And, you know, look, we could go on and on. You guys know the stories. I've been doing sleep tracking for myself for the past 15 years, and I've got a variety of devices. I'm now wearing the Aura Ring religiously all the time. Um, and my wife does too. And we've strapped on headsets to measure EEG waves and we have uh, mattress <laughs> sensors. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying get more sleep. And so uh, the simplest thing I can tell you is you need to a eliminate caffeine and alcohol at least three to four hours before bedtime. I mean, that's like kind of bare minimum. Number two, you need to eliminate blue light exposure. This means your cell phone, your tablet, whatever, really, really dangerous. Even with night shift on the Apple iPhones, it's still not cutting down enough. That's actually telling your pituitary to not secrete melatonin, which you need for restorative REM sleep and, and actually for growth hormone secretion. So we could go on and on and on, but you need to go to bed on time, get up on time, preface it with some exercise. But again, Cindy, I'm going to get into the wacky stuff, but sleep more, you'll be happier. Yeah. And Ariana Huffington's amazing book, it definitely was eye-opening for me. Um, when we are exhausted, we are essentially working drunk. And none of us would want to go to work drunk. And so 
something that we should all be trying to prioritize. Yeah. And, and it's a myth, Cindy. I mean, maybe we should dedicate an entire, you know what we should get. I've got a couple of friends who are sleep experts. Maybe we should try to get them. Oh. So if you're interested in that, hit us up, let us know on iTunes or Facebook or whatever. We'd love to, yep. to share that, you know, but I want to know if you want to hear about that. But the, the reality is uh, you are, you're, you're not as, as productive and creative. And this myth of, well, Einstein slept four hours. Yeah, but he took like three or four you know, hour to two hour naps during the day where he went through one to two REM cycles. Remember, one REM cycle is a minimum of 45 minutes of sleep. So, you know, yeah, I mean, sleep more. (laughs) Yep. So find the things you're passionate about. Take care of yourself. Find those ways to decompress when you can and uh, know that being happier is going to make you more productive, too. Yeah. And, and Becky, just from a support staff standpoint, because there's one thing I want to, I want to end this, this podcast on is the, the feeling that many, especially support staff, associate veterinarians feel of, of lack of control. And I know we touched on this earlier, but I just want to come back to it one more time. And that is the, the myth that you don't have control, right? So let's speak to those veterinary technicians, those associate veterinarians out there. They're going, Hey, this all sounds great, but you know, I have no control. My boss is crappy and my life sucks. I can't do anything about it. What do you say to that person? (laughs) I mean, I think you have to be, as I said, in control of that change. And so whether it is getting the entire staff on board with changing that culture and making a a new way for everyone or talking to management or finding a place where work-life balance is respected or finding, you know, a way to work it into your life, whether that means going part-time, um, you, there is, there is some kind of way to make it work and you just, you have to find it. You have to find people around you to be supportive and help you find the ways and create that change for yourself because it's not going to just come, you know, it's not just going to happen for you. Yeah. And just remember right now, there is a huge demand for technicians and for associate veterinarians. And (laughs) so if there's a time to create some pressure to get a little bit more wiggle room for yourself, the time is now. And there's also a ton of innovation going on. People are creating new ways of doing veterinary medicine. So um, think about the problem. Think about new ways to solve the problem. Well, you've heard what we have to say. Now we want to hear from you. What do you think about this juggling work-life balance? Is there really such a thing as balance or really is it just all chaos and imbalance? We want to hear from you. Go ahead and reach out to us on Facebook or on Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. Share some stories or some pictures of what work-life balance looks like for you today. Please also reach out to us on iTunes. We'd love to hear a review, hear what this means to you. It also helps other people find the podcast who are other podcast fans. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. And if you're wondering why it sounded a little different today, we had a little bit of technical difficulty. We're all traveling, so we kind of put it together as best we could. Until next time, when we'll hopefully have much better quality. Bye. 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 That was really good.